Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So last week we did Philippians chapter 2. We'll go ahead and jump into the message here. We walked through Philippians chapter two last week and we talked about humbling ourselves, you know, having, having a heart of humility and, and walking in humility and, and removing our, our pride and removing those things from that, that, that we walk with, you know, those kind of stuff. We talked about disarming those things, disbanding those things and walking away. And we ended by praying for one another instead of praying for ourselves and asking God to help us in our pride, but, but asking God to deliver somebody else. So walking again in humility, putting others first in the way that we live. And so this week we're going to continue in Philippians and I'm excited about this message today. I'm excited about, uh, about where we're going with this message and, and, and where Paul goes in chapter three. So this next week is Halloween. We're all aware that October 31st is Halloween. And what's great about that is it is the day before November. And here's what's really cool about November. <laughs> Do you like that? Do you like that segue? You like how I tied, tied that in, right? Trying to keep the calendar related to the, anyways, Okay. A couple of great things happen in November. One, Thanksgiving. Two, we move into our house uh, and we will actually live here, which is great. And we're, we're excited and we're looking forward to it. And it's looking awesome. Every day it looks better and better. It's really great. Anyways, so we'll move into our house and that'll be the first holiday that we celebrate in November will be move-in day. The second will be Thanksgiving. But the great thing about November is it is the month before Christmas. And so once you hit November, you're like, oh, it's Christmas time. At least it is any, anymore, Right. Now, in our home, in our family, we have some incredible Christmas traditions that, that are going to run deep, and we're going to hold true to those for years to come. One of those being Christmas pajamas, uh, and, and we all get Christmas pajamas. Yes, I partake in the Christmas pajamas as well. And, uh, and so we all have our Christmas pajamas. Our boys have theirs, and they usually match in some way, shape, or form, and, and they love it. And so when we wake up Christmas morning, we're in our Christmas pajamas and all that kind of stuff, and we're opening gifts, which usually means that pictures are being taken. So the other tradition is we wait for Lauren to do her hair and her makeup before we open gifts because uh, we need to make sure that she looks her best for that. I'll pay for that one later, right? Right, fair enough. But there's other traditions that we have with Christmas. One is, is Christmas movies. How many of y'all love Christmas movies, right? Christmas movies are wonderful. They, they just bring a joy for no reason. You can watch them in July and have Christmas in July and you go, oh, I can't wait for December, right? So we have some, some favorites that we like, one being uh, the new The Grinch with Jim Carrey. It is absolutely phenomenal. It's hilarious. It is so great. So we love that one. But also White Christmas. Uh, we, we love White Christmas. But then we have The Christmas Carol, which the one with Jim Carrey is also the best, especially for our children, right? Because uh, if we try to show them some old black and white Christmas Carol, they'll be like, what are we watching and who filmed this? They're terrible, right? They've... they've raise their level of expectation. Uh, so the Christmas Carol is a fantastic story. And if you don't know it, it's about Ebenezer Scrooge, which we see here in, in a you know, animated form. And Ebenezer Scrooge was this wealthy man who had forgotten how to love other people. He developed this love for money. And, and through this process, he's forgotten to love other people. And what we find in the story is there's this incredible thing that happens one night where he has this kind of spiritual awakening, a spiritual encounter, where he's visited by three ghosts. No, not the Holy Ghost, but the ghost of Christmas past, 
the ghost of Christmas present and the ghost of Christmas future, right? And he goes through this process where he's walking through and he's seeing these things. And what we find in Philippians chapter three is this beautiful correlation that Paul himself walks through in his own life where he examines his past, he examines his present, and he focuses on the future. So today, as we walk through this, without it being a Christmas message in the least bit, please understand the framework that we're kind of seeing this through is this idea of past, present, and future. And Paul is going to challenge us through these things as we walk through what he he writes for us, as he was inspired to write for us, as we see his past, his present, and his future. So let's start today in verses 1 through 11. We won't read the entirety of the chapter in one sitting but we will break it up and read through it throughout this morning. So the first thing is this, further my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for those for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Father, we love you. And we ask, oh God, for your anointing on this word today, that you lead us as we walk through this passage, as we walk through chapter three, God, that you will uh, anoint us to hear, God, that you will anoint me to speak, that you will use me to bring clarity to your word and understanding and how we are to live. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's a couple of things that we're going to walk through again as we continue to walk through the entirety of chapter three today. But starting with, with verses one through 11, the first thing is this new values. It's the first thing, the first, first blank in your notes is values. So Paul is assessing new values. He, he's looking at and understanding uh, kind of who he was. Uh, have you ever met a person that was extremely religious? Not, not, not so much spiritual or, or that they were saved, but just very religious, right? That they, they placed a lot of weight in uh, all the good things they had done within the church, that their salvation was, was weighted out by uh, the good that they were doing, the things that they were keeping, the law that they were walking according to. That was Paul. Paul was an extremely religious person, right? He would have been, he was a Pharisee. And now if you read through, through the writings of Jesus, and he often spoke against Pharisees. He called them hypocrites, right? They were constantly living the law and telling people how to do things, yet none of it had to do with their heart or the condition of their heart. It was purely about being better and being more righteous than other people. So we see Paul here is, is this overly religious person 
where he was better than everybody else. He had this mindset and understanding that he was better. He's saying, look at me. I was the perfect Jew. I was the perfect Hebrew. And so we see Paul saying, you know, this, this is who I was. I was fantastic. But let's walk through this a little bit as we build to this moment. What is Paul saying and what is he setting up in the, in the beginning? So, so he, he says this. He says, watch out for dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. And at first you go, where in the world are these people living? I hope they lock their doors at night. If dogs are breaking through the doors and there's evildoers and mutilators of the flesh, this sounds awful, right? This sounds like a horror movie waiting to happen. And and, and Paul's going, you have to understand a little bit the context in which he's speaking to them with. First thing is this, we have to understand is that Paul is speaking about a group that were actually called Judaizers. So these are people that were formerly Jews that now profess Jesus, except that they've merged the two religions together. So that they're taking the law and applying it to the cross. So they're saying your salvation is based on keeping the law in conjunction with the cross, right? And Paul is saying, you know, watch out for these dogs. And this was, this was intentional because uh, the, the uh, Orthodox Jews referred to the Christians as dogs. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You're not the dogs, they're the ones that are actually the dogs because they are taking and tainting what is salvation. They are tainting what is the gift that God gave us, that Jesus gave us on the cross. He's saying, so watch out for these guys. And then he's saying, watch out for evildoers. Is he talking about, you know, uh, pimps, drug dealers, and terrorists? No, he's actually continuing, still talking in the same breath about these, uh, these Judaizers. He's saying what they're doing is evil. What they're doing to the gospel is evil. It's wrong. It's not, it's not right. It's not what is actually the word of God. It's not what the gift of salvation actually is. They're, they're doing evil things with it. Now, one of the biggest play on words that you're going to find in scripture is where he calls them mutilators of the flesh. And this is not to be too graphic, but in direct correlation to uh, the statement about circumcision. And he's saying, you know, these guys, they claimed and they based their, their claim off of, again, the Jewish law saying, before you can become a Christian, you must be circumcised, right? And he's saying, this is the, the first step. This is what the Judaizers, Judaizers were saying. This is the first step is circumcision. And he's calling them then mutilators of the flesh. And he says, we are the circumcision. Because as we know, salvation deals with the circumcision of the heart, the trimming of the heart, the pruning of the heart and cutting back so that we can in turn receive Christ, recognizing our lowly place. So, so Paul says, watch out for dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. And now, just a quick statement about dogs. I know there's a lot of people that say dogs are people too. Um, understand where scripture places them. And we'll just walk under the Imago Dei, right? We are, we are made in the image. Okay, we can get into that later. I'm not gonna, I love my dog, so hear me. I absolutely love our dog. But at the end of the day, he is, he is okay, we don't wanna get into that. This is really not necessary in the least bit. But that's where my mind just jumped to. Sometimes my mind just jumps and you gotta, and you gotta rein it back in. Pull it back in. So what, what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, all of these rituals that they were applying, all of these things that they are saying need to be done, all of these things that they are walking actually don't do anything to help build up or bolster our salvation. It is simply just religious deeds. They're just doing these things. They're walking in accordance to the law and not according to, to the salvation that they've received. They're not walking under grace. They are, they are walking according to this works-based salvation. 
And a works-based salvation, uh, to me, is one of the uh, most arrogant things that somebody can, can live out. So let's look for a moment at verse 7, 11, and I'll explain that, that statement. But he says, but whatever gains to me, I, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, what is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, I consider them garbage. I consider them garbage. So here's, here's what's going on. As Paul is saying, listen, I have done all of these things, right? I was the greatest of Hebrews. Not only was I faultless in the way I lived, not only was I a Pharisee, I, I was pretty stinking awesome because I was quickly ascending, right? He doesn't state this, but you can read it. I was quickly ascending the ranks of the Pharisees. They were looking to me for so many things. I was overseeing persecution of Christians. I was overseeing the, the deaths of Christians and, and they were loving me. They were going, man, you are so fantastic, Paul. We love you. Actually, it was Saul at the time, but you hear me, follow me. He said, you are fantastic. You are wonderful. You're doing great things. We are so proud of who you are. And, and he's going, all of that, everything that I gained, everything that I had built up in that previous life, I look at and I count it as purely as loss because I am not capable myself of ever gaining salvation through what I could do. No matter how righteous I think I am, no matter how righteous I live, none of that counts towards anything. All of that is loss. He says, I, I consider it garbage. I consider it garbage. Actually, the word can be translated, and, and I don't do a whole lot of Greek today, so just, just roll with me when I throw it out there. I don't do a whole, there's not a whole lot to say, but the word garbage, it's actually, it can be translated to the word dung. Refuse. So, so actually just, he's like, I consider it excrement. Everything that I had accomplished, everything that I had done in this previous life, when it, when it pertains to my walk with Jesus, when I, when I see it, all of that counts for absolutely nothing because none of that brings me his righteousness. None of that brings me his righteousness. So here's, here's the contrast, right? And this is where I say the statement that, that works-based salvation is probably the most arrogant thought process that we could ever have. It says this, that, that I on my own incapable of being righteous enough to, to receive approval from Christ. That, that because of how righteous I have lived, because of all of the good that I do and the fact that I walk a perfectly straight line, I never do wrong. I never, in, in all reality, it is the most arrogant statement you could ever possibly make to say that I can gain salvation, that I can earn my salvation. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Salvation is purely based on faith alone. Our righteousness is only found in Christ. We are not able to obtain it. Now, he, we'll get into more of our role and our responsibility in this in a moment. But, but understand, Paul is laying the foundation for this chapter by stating this. There is nothing you can do to become righteous enough to gain salvation. The only thing you can do is have faith in Christ. And that, in lies, that, that in, in, is where your salvation lies, is in your faith in Jesus. And that's the foundation that he's basing on. He says, this is his new values, right? He's shifted from this, this law-based ideology and, and this Hebrew ideology and religion that he was in. And he's saying, I've shifted my values. I have thrown all of that away. All of that is garbage. None of that counts for anything. And now I press into who Jesus is and I lean into that. And my salvation is based on faith alone. We're actually on October 31st. It is the 501st anniversary of the Reformation. 
And you may not know what the Reformation is, but essentially there was a guy named Martin Luther that nailed his 95 thesis to a door of a church in Germany. And he said, we're going to change a few things, but there are, there are what they call the, the, the five solas. And so one of the things is that it was sola fide, which is Latin for faith alone. And so he's saying, listen, our, our salvation is based on faith alone, not through works. We can't, we can't obtain it, right? We can't work towards it. We can only receive it. It is a gift that's given to us through faith. And so Paul is saying, take your whole ideology and, 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 and Jewish religion and remove that. He's saying, stay away from the people that are teaching that you can earn your salvation. Because there's nothing you and I can do to ever earn it. There's nothing we can do to ever, to ever gain it apart from Christ, right? Our salvation comes from and is birthed out of purely and only in faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way to, to obtain it. So then verses 12 through 16, there's a new vigor in Paul, and it says this in verses three, or chapter three, twelve through sixteen. Not that I have already obtained all of this. He's saying this is what I want to be. I want to be. I want to be like Christ in this. I haven't attained. I haven't obtained this yet, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me, brothers and sisters. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let us live up to what we have already attained. Now, there's something we need to know. We all probably are familiar with Paul is that this, he was a huge fan of sports. Paul talks about athletics a lot. He talks about being physically fit. He talks about running the race, right? There's a lot of, of ideas of, of, of racing and, and the, the Olympic games that, that would be there in Greece. And, and so Paul is not talking about earning your salvation, right? You know, he's saying, this is something you've already attained, but I'm pressing on and I'm striving towards greater things. In fact, in, in order for someone to participate in the Greek games, they had to be a citizen. It was a part of the, the rules within it. You did not run the race to, to gain your citizenship, right? You had to be a citizen to run the race in the first place. And so Paul is saying, listen, we're gonna run, you know, we, as we run this race, as we run this course in front of us, as we press on towards the goal, this is to become more like Christ. This is that striving and pressing to be more like Jesus. Paul uses an incredible word in, in, in chapter, in, in verse 13, sorry, um, I'll just, I won't read the Greek because I'll butcher it if I try to read the actual Greek. But anyways, uh, it, in, in the English, it translates to straining toward, straining forward. It, it actually is a, a Greek word um, that's a little more complex in, in that it, it is, would be used in relation to a race. It would be talking about leaning everything towards the goal, pressing every inch of who you are towards the finish line, stretching out greater, straining, right? That's where we get the idea of straining towards the goal. And Paul is saying, I I press every inch and every ounce of my being towards the goal, towards what God has called me to be and who God is leading me to become. Not, not, giving, not leaving anything back, but pressing towards the goal. And this makes me think of uh, the Olympics in 2016. Allison Felix is, is the most decorated female athlete in, in the summer games in American history. She's won tons of medals. And, and her big event was the 400 meter uh, race. And in 2016, she's in the finals of 
of the, the 400s where she was favored to win. And she had a slow start. She had a slow start. She didn't start well. People are out ahead of her and they're talking about, whoa, what's going on? You know, as you listen, they're like, wow, Allison's way behind. But she continues to press and continues to press on and press on. And she begins to find her way climbing all the way to the lead. As she's getting towards the finish line, I almost wonder if she was a little unaware of Shawnee Williams of the Bahamas who was coming up behind her. And as Allison Felix reaches for the finish line, she just stretches out her chest and crosses the line. But Shawnee Williams completely depicted this idea of straining. She did something that sent kind of the, you went viral in a moment and it sent the whole sports world in a buzz for a moment. She didn't just lean forward. She did something that was un, unthought of or unheard of really in the world of Olympic racing. She dove across the finish line. We're talking about eating pavement kind of dive. It, she, she didn't care in the moment. She just lays it out and she ends up winning by 0. 0.07 seconds because she fully strained towards the goal, towards the prize. And Paul is saying, listen, this is not about obtaining salvation, right? This is, you have your salvation now. Now the next step is to press on to be more like Christ, not being satisfied with the way you live. Now, Paul is a very driven, motivated person, right? I'm sure he would be difficult to work for. You would never be able to reach his standards or his expectations for your life, right? But Paul is always pushing and saying, we can be better. We can be better. We can push on to be better. That's why I like what he says in verse 16. He says, uh, you know, only let us live up to what we have already attained, meaning that we have responsibility in the way we live out our salvation. We have a responsibility to live a life that is apart from sin. See, grace is not the, the covering to continue in sin. Grace is the freedom to live outside of sin. And so if we accept Christ and we accept the grace, then our responsibility is to then live a life worthy of what we've already attained. To put aside things that we know that's wrong. Those are things that we should set aside. Those are things we should no longer partake in. Those are things we should not do any longer. Setting aside sin. See, we are called to live a life apart from sin. See, through Christ, through grace, we have the freedom to do so. And Paul is recognizing that. And he's saying, listen, we need to live a life that is worthy of what we've attained. Of this gift that's been given to us. This grace that we've received. We need to live so that when people see us, they recognize how worthy we are for what we've received. It's not about a selfish gain. It's not about being seen. No, it's simply about honoring the gift that's been given to us because Christ gave his life for us. He gave his life for us. His, his blood was shed so that we could have salvation. So in turn, out of reverence for Jesus, out of thankfulness for Jesus, we say, I want to live a life worthy. I want to live a life worthy. So there should be a difference in the way Christians live versus the way the world lives. There should be a, a, a visual difference that we see in the joy that we walk in, a difference in the peace that we carry, a difference in, 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 in the choices we make and the thoughts that we have. There should be a difference. The third thing is this, that there was a new vision. This is where Paul goes from his present moment of straining towards more and being better than, than where he is in the moment and wanting to be better and then going, I'm focusing now on the future. I'm focusing on the future. Philippians chapter 3, 17 through 21. Excuse me. It says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. 
For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears. So feel the emotion behind the words of Paul in this moment. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. This would be in relation to, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just keep reading. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jumping back to, to verse 17 for just a moment, he's saying, look at me as, as I live, as I live, follow my example. You know, what is he referencing? He's saying, one, live out the, the, the theology and the doctrine that I'm giving you. Don't fall subject or fall prey to these Judaizers who are trying to bring in this law to say, okay, unless you have both, you don't have salvation, right? So essentially all they've done is added another thing on top of the law. Like now you have to live out the law. You have to live out this Jewish life and you have to follow Jesus, right? And so he's saying, no, 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 no. This is separate. That, that is separate. We live now under grace, right? We live under Jesus, right? And so he's saying, follow this doctrine. And then he's saying also strain towards greater things, press on to be better. He's saying, follow me and live as I live. And he says, and also look to those around you. Cause remember Paul's in chains. He's not there with the Philippians. He's in prison in the moment. And he's saying, you know, look at those around you live as they do. The ones that live as us, the ones that live like we do follow their example, you know, use them as a leader that you can look towards. But then he goes on greater. And he says with this, this moment of, of, of somber, uh, uh, emotion in this book, that's full of joy, where oftentimes the, the overwhelming emphasis and thought through the book of Philippians is the joy in his suffering that he has as he's walking through chains, as he's imprisoned. And we have this moment where Paul is talking about, listen to the words I've said to you many times. And now even with tears, even with tears, the, the, the with tears is, is almost weaker than the, the translation of the word, which would be like with weeping as I weep. And he says, this is why I weep, that there are some who live as enemies of the cross. And he's talking about people within the body, within the church. He's saying, it breaks my heart to see how some people are living. It breaks my heart to see how some people are, 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 are walking out their faith, how some people are now adopting this Judaizer theology and this doctrine. They're adopting this works-based salvation. They're adopting this. He's saying, it breaks my heart to see that, that what Christ has done for you, you can't deem as sufficient. But yet you have to place your own values and expectations on others to say, nope, I don't know that you're actually saved yet. I know you asked Jesus into your heart and you're trying your best, but you're not holy enough. You say, this breaks my heart. There's no greater enemy of the cross than, than selfishness or, or selfish ideas or pride that says, I can obtain, I can do better than what the cross did for me. And Paul's saying, hear my heart. As I tell you these words in weeping, there are enemies of the cross. There's enemies of the cross. So then he moves on and he says this, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. So he's referring back to the dietary laws right in the Old Testament. So he's saying, you know, they won't eat shellfish and that's their loss, right? I don't know what he's talking about. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just pulling from Leviticus in my mind right now. They don't eat bacon. Can't trust people like that. <laughs> we just wiped out all of Seattle. I'm just kidding. My goodness. But I digress. Uh, 
So, so here we find, you know, he's saying, listen, as I'm weeping, understand that there are people within the body that, that are essentially these evildoers, these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh, and they're trying to infiltrate your thoughts and your ideas. And he said, all they really are are enemies of the cross. Because at the cross, the work was done. The work was completed. The work was sufficient, right? The work of Jesus was enough for our salvation. The work of Jesus was enough for us to receive full covering of grace, to receive full forgiveness of our sin. In the moment that we just say, God, come into my heart. Jesus, I, I recognize you as my Savior. The Bible, you know, Paul writes in Romans that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. All he's doing here is just, just rebuilding up his thoughts and his ideas. And here's what he talks about. He talks about how they have an earthly mind. He said their mind is set on earthly things, meaning their view and their scope is right here and only here. They're not looking beyond. And Paul is saying, but we are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven, meaning we need to change our mindset. We don't need to be focused on the earthly thoughts and the earthly issues that we deal with constantly. Yes, there is time and a place to look at real earthly needs and earthly problems. But he's saying we need to have a heavenly mindset. We need to step into our heavenly citizenship, not not being satisfied with where we are. So here's what I see in churches all the time. I say all the time, but I've seen you see it happen a lot in churches all over America is that they become very righteous and that certain things within the church start becoming their gods, whether it be blue carpet or a grand piano, the songs they used to sing. You see this kind of stuff all the time. And what that does is it begins to divide the body, right? It begins to divide the church. It begins to divide the house. And in turn, we miss what God is trying to say, speak, or do because we're focused on somebody has messed with my righteous things. What we've deemed as righteous, right? And not what, not what God has deemed as righteous, not what God is saying, no, that was what I was doing. We can get into an old wineskin, new wineskin thing, and we're not doing that right now. But he's saying, that's what I was doing. This is what I'm doing now. And so this is what, where I'm moving. This is where I'm going. And you're holding on to what you deemed as righteous before. This is the way I moved then. It's not how I'm moving now, right? And he's saying, set that aside and step into the new that I'm doing. Let go of the old thoughts, traditions, and, and, and ideas. Let go of your, your Hebrew ideology, right? We're stepping now into a Christ-centered theology and doctrine. We're walking that. And he's saying that, you know, in, in what we see in churches today is that they, they hold on to the past, right? And that's what we're seeing here, aren't we? Effectively. They're going, well, I can't let go of my Jewish tradition. And what we see in churches today is, well, I can't let go of, of, of our traditions. I can't let go of what it is God used to do and how he used to do things. And I had a great moment when one time this song was sang and when they sang it, oh, glory, hallelujah, uh, heaven came down. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not discrediting that. I'm sure you had an incredible moment with the Lord during that song, right? And those kind of things. And we see those things transpire in churches all over America. Luckily, we haven't dealt with any of that since I've been here. And if uh, you're having those thoughts, I would gladly ask you to just repent and move on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is a joke. Uh, but seriously, uh, repent and so what does that leave us today what, is, what is that, where does that put us in all of this as we walk through this whole thing and kind of said okay so Paul is saying listen what we used to do who we used to be all of that is lost that's garbage that, that is worthless so he's saying listen I know what they're teaching and, and the, the laws that they're trying to imply and put on you I knew them well I was a Pharisee none of that counts for anything 
And I see where I am now under grace with Christ, walking with him. And I'm not satisfied with how I'm living. I want to be better. He says, but then beyond that, I'm looking towards the future. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm going to walk in line with the leading of Jesus and where he wants me to be, to become who he has called me to be. And I'm going to step in line with those things. And so we find this, look, see your past and recognize that it was there and say, none of that matters any longer. See where you are and go, okay, how can I be better? Focus on the future and say, where, how do we get to that? How do we make that the goal we're aiming for? How do we make that the goal that we're aiming for? I'm going to invite the worship team to join me. So what we find is this, is that Paul, in that moment, is encouraging us to step into a spiritual mindset, not this earthly mindset. And it kind of reiterates a statement that he made in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. See, when our mind shifts, when our mind changes, when we have these thoughts and these ideas that say, okay, I can be better, right? All of a sudden, that's where we begin to step into the transformative power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit that he does in our hearts and in our lives. And he's saying, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's where transformation begins, is in our minds. And he's saying, step out of an earthly mindset and step into a heavenly mindset. Walk in a heavenly mindset. Here's what I know about transition and change. Things look different, right? It's inevitable. It's change, right? Change implies difference. Change implies that there will be shifts in, in, in things and the way they operate and the way they flow. Change implies that, that there's going to be differences. But the thing about it is, is that Paul, as we read, is, is saying in the word of God, mind you, it's not just the words of Paul. This is the word of God. Paul is saying, hey, step into a heavenly mind and let's walk in accordance to where God is leading us. Let's walk in accordance to where God is leading us. Let's set aside the earthly mindset and the things that focus on, this is how we've always done it. This is the way it was before. But we're going to walk in accordance to the scripture in accordance to where God is leading us. This is where God is leading us. So this morning, I don't know, I don't know where maybe that hits. I, I don't know if there's a moment where you're going, okay, maybe I'm trying too hard to gain my own salvation. Maybe I'm pressing that on other people. And you're saying, okay, you know what? We need to step into grace and step into that and understanding that we are not to be satisfied with how we live and looking at our present situation and going, have I become complacent? Have I become content in my walk with the Lord? And do I need to shake that up? Do I need to, to let go of that and say, you know what? I, I'm not satisfied any longer. I'm not satisfied anymore. I want to be more like Christ. I want to live more like Jesus. I'm not satisfied any longer. Or maybe you need a shift in a mindset. Shift in a mindset that says, okay, I'm going to walk in a heavenly mindset. Letting go of the earthly mindset. Putting the earthly thoughts aside. And I don't just mean carnal or, or, or evil thoughts, but I just mean losing focus on where is Jesus leading us? Let me pray over you. Father, God, we love you. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you that your word challenges us sometimes. 
I thank you for your grace and Lord, and I thank you for the reminder that our salvation is not based on us because Lord, if it was based on my own merit and my own doing, I, I would never obtain salvation. So God, I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you that my salvation comes through my faith in you. And as I place my faith in you, God, that I, I, I walk with you. So God, I pray that, that you begin to speak to hearts, Lord, wherever, wherever we are in this place today. If we're putting too much pressure on ourselves to gain our salvation and not stepping into grace and walking in that freedom from sin, walking in that freedom separation of from sin and saying, okay, I don't have to give into that any longer. I'm no longer bound in the flesh. I, I'm free. I can walk away from those things. I can walk side by side with Jesus and, and live towards that. Lord, if I become complacent with how I live and say, okay, I'm, this is it. This is what I'm going to be. This is who I am. But I need to let that go. If that's where, you know, God, if that's where we are, I pray, Lord, that you urge us to be more like you so that we are straining towards you, straining towards what you have for us. And if we need to shift our mindset, letting go of, of the earthly mind and, and, and stepping into a renewed mind, a renewed heavenly mind, Lord, I pray that you, you reveal that to us. You reveal that to us.